0: Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read one verse this morning, and I want to try to preach to you a little bit this morning about a people prepared for the Lord, a people prepared for the Lord, and I'll just give you a little disclaimer this morning. I want to preach to you about the Lord's return this morning, and I, I understand that There is a difference between the second advent and the rapture of the church, but I'm not going to really be exploring the theological differences between those things this morning. I just want to preach to you a very general message about the fact that the Lord is coming and you should be ready for him. And I hope you are ready for him. I hope you're ready uh, in your life. I hope you're ready in your mindset. I hope you're ready in your obedience. Amen. I, I hope you're ready for the Lord to come. Amen. Let's look here in Luke chapter 1 and look in verse 17. The Bible said, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared. For the Lord. All right. Father, we pray, God, that you help us this morning. Lord, we thank you, God, for moving among us this morning. And Lord, I pray, God, that Lord's hearts would be tender towards you, God, and Lord would be sensitive to you. Lord, I pray, God, that you help me, Lord. I pray that you'd help me to be mindful, Lord, of the move of the Spirit of God. And Lord, help us, God, Lord, to be obedient to you, God, in everything that we say and do this morning. And I pray that you'd impress upon your heart, upon your people, uh, Lord, upon their hearts, God, the fact, Lord, that you are soon coming and that, Lord, God, we have to be ready. Lord, we have to be ready, Lord, at any moment, God, Lord. And I pray that you'd work that in our hearts. God, work that in our minds. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 17 is a statement about John the Baptist and his ministry. And the passage lays emphasis on the fact that John's ministry is going to be that of a forerunner of Jesus Christ. I think you probably know John to be that forerunner of Christ. When somebody came and asked John, they said, "'Who, who are you?' He said, "'I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, crying out, saying, "'Make his path straight, prepare ye the way of the Lord.'" And this here passage, this verse here Luke chapter one verse seventeen is when the angel Gabriel comes and makes this declaration to Zacharias, who is John's daddy. Zacharias is moving about inside the temple where he's doing his service. He's he's of a family. Uh the Bible said that he's of the course of a of a Biah here in Luke chapter one verse five, and that he's working here in the temple according to his course and this Angel shows up as he's doing his responsibilities as one of those Levitical families, and he says, "Hey, he says you're going to be, you're going to be uh, the father to a son who's going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ." And uh, this morning, I'm not really going to try to explore the doctrinal aspect aspect of. John's ministry as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ but he stated this angel told Zacharias he stated he said what his purpose is going to be right here in the end of verse 17 he said his purpose is going to be to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you say, well, Brother Nathan, that's not really, uh, it doesn't really re- concern us too much because we're we're far removed from the ministry of John and uh, we're not really involved in that. And I, I understand that sentiment, but I really want to draw a correlation. I want to draw a little relationship here this morning and tell you that the ministry of John concerns us in type, if you will, if you'll come with me. And let me just say this morning that the ministry of John concerns us in that the fact that John was a forerunner of the Lord's first coming. And he was around to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And listen, the Bible said that Jesus Christ is coming back. Yeah. And so the purpose, the purpose of the message this morning is to take the ministry of John and make application to you and say, Hey, you should be a people that's prepared for the Lord. Yeah. You should be a people that's ready for the Lord to come back. And let me just ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready? You say, Brother Nathan, I'm ready. Well, praise the Lord. I, I hope you're looking forward to it with, with great anticipation. Because I will say this. I will say that when he came at his first coming, what there was was mercy and compassion. What there was was tenderness and loving and kindness and graciousness. But when he comes in the future, that's not necessarily what you're going to find. Yes, sir. What you're going to find at his second coming, specifically at the second advent, is you're going to find a time of fear. What you're going to find is is justice. You're going to find righteousness. You're going to find him fighting. You're going to find him fighting. The Bible said Jesus Christ standing before Pilate, he said, my servants are not of this world. He said, if they were, he said, my servants would fight. But he said, now my kingdom's not of hence. Well, there's going to come a day where his kingdom is going to be of this earth. It is going to be of this world. And his servants are going to fight. Yes, sir. Not going to be any more Democrats and Republicans. Not going to be any more socialists or libertarians or Green Party. There's there's not going to be any more loyalists. The only people that's going to be around is God's servants, God's people. And I hope you're ready for that. I say this morning that the second coming of Christ, the fact that the Lord's coming this morning, it can't be overemphasized. It cannot. It cannot be overemphasized. Do you know how many, how many prophecies relate to the Lord's first coming? Forty-eight. Forty-eight. You know how many of those prophecies were fulfilled? Every single one of them. Do you know how many prophecies there are that relate to the second coming of the Lord? About five hundred. You know how many of them is going to be fulfilled? Every single one of them. Yeah. You say, Brother Nathan, I just really don't see the, the, the reason behind putting such an emphasis on the second coming of the Lord. Well, I beg to differ with you because that is what a large portion of your Old Testament is about. A large portion of the entire Scripture is not about, it doesn't regard necessarily things that are to hear. You come to the New Testament and there certainly is instruction on how to live. There certainly is direction on how to live. You find that in the Old Testament. But every time you find that, what you'll find not too far removed is, hey, he's coming. He's coming. Listen, I tell you this morning, he's coming. He's coming. Whether you feel like it or not this morning, whether you want him to come or not this morning, whether you're ready for him or not, he's coming. And listen, let me tell you, if you're in here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You better not let him catch you unaware. You better not let him catch you unprepared. You better be ready for him. You better be ready for him. Paul mentions some aspect of the Lord's coming in every single one of his epistles. Every single one of them. Every single one of his epistles. He talks about them. He talks about the fact that the Lord's coming sometime in the future. Hey, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here during his earthly ministry, you know what he was constantly admonishing his disciples to do? Watch. You better be watching. Hey, Jesus Christ hadn't even left yet. But he already began to be, to be putting an emphasis on the fact that, hey, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Hey, I say this morning, uh, it, the farther we go into the church age, the more we should be preaching about the fact that the Lord's coming. You know what the thing that characterized the early church was? It was a simple adherence to the fact. It was a simple adherence to the fact in, in their minds that, hey, the Lord's coming. We've got to get ready. When Peter goes through Acts chapter 2 and he's preaching to the nation of Israel, he preaches, hey, you crucified Jesus Christ, and God prophesied that all this was going to take place, but he said you better get ready for him to come because he's coming. Every time you find these disciples preaching, every time you find the apostle Paul preaching, they always preach, hey, Christ died for your sins, and you better get ready for him because something's coming in the future. Whether that be the judgment seat of Christ, whether it be the great white throne of judgment, Yes, sir, you know why a lot of people have lost touch, why they've lost touch with the, the jingle bells inside their soul as far as it relates to the Lord? It's because they've lost touch with the fact that, hey, he's coming. But listen, I tell you this morning, the Lord's a man of his word. He's not going to violate. He's not going to violate his own word. He's not going to. Uh, the Bible said that he might tarry for a little while, but he that tarries, he's going to come. He's going to come. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning, it says, Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? That's what scoffers do. Let me ask you something this morning. Which side are you on? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, some of you folks sitting right in here this morning, you've heard preacher after preacher stand up and say, Hey, he's coming. Hey, he's coming. You've been in Independent Baptist Church. You've been in Southern Baptist Church. You've been in Church of God. You've been in a Pentecostal church. huh? Some of you have been in Presbyterian churches perhaps. Some of you may be in a Methodist church. And all of them have some variation. I didn't say they were all right about everything in their doctrine, but all of them have some variation of the fact of, hey, he's coming. And you've heard that your whole life. And I'm going to stand up here one more time this morning, one more day, one more Sunday out of your life. And I'm going to tell you, he's coming. You've drove through town, maybe drove through Folkestone, maybe drove through Jacksonville. God help you. Maybe you've drove through Philadelphia. I think Brother Chris and the boys, they drove through Philadelphia. And one of the things, boy, it really, it really struck me, Brother Curtis. He said they was driving through Philadelphia. And he said, I believe that was Friday night, wasn't it? They was driving through there. And he said, one of the things that we found all through the streets of Philadelphia was these fellows standing out on the street corner in suits and ties, Bibles held up in the air and signs preaching. You know what they was doing out there? They were saying, hey, the Lord's coming. You better get ready. You better get ready. You've known of people that have stood in nursing homes and preached to those old folks that can't get around all that well. And somebody stood up there and said, hey, the Lord's coming. You know of preachers that have gone out to D. Ray James and maybe gone up to Ware State and maybe gone to all kinds of prisons. And they preached and said, hey, the Lord's coming. Yeah. And I'm telling you this morning one more time, the Lord's coming. Yeah. The Lord's coming. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes, sir. Let me point out a couple of things about this statement that's made right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible said that the purpose of John's ministry was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, there's some things that's insinuated about that statement. If I say, hey, I got to come make you ready to, uh, for example, my kids, I come to my kids and say, hey, y'all need to get ready for bed. You know what that implies? That implies they're not ready right now. And you know, there's a lot of folks that's standing around. They know the Lord's coming. They know. They've heard it preached. And I believe there might even be a measure of somebody that believes. Hey, yes, we know the Lord's coming. But they're not ready. And the purpose of John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, is the fact that, hey, you better get ready. That's what he came to do. He came to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Yes, sir. Uh, The reason that you've got to make something ready. The only reason is because it's not ready as it stands, as they stand right now. You know, it's interesting to me, this people that he's getting ready to make ready, that he's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know who those people are? They're people that proclaim to be the people of God. John's greater ministry was not to the Gentiles. It was not to pagans and to heathens. It was to those people that said that they were the people of God. It was to God's own people. It was the children of Israel. It was people that, if you will, sit right in little churches like this this morning and say, Oh, yes, I'm saved. Oh, yes, I believe that. Oh, yes, I've always been a Christian. I've always been in church. But the Bible says that they weren't ready. He said, uh, this angel came up and showed up to Zacharias and said, hey, your boy is going to be a forerunner to try and make these people get ready. He's going to try and make them a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, the children of Israel were a people that were, uh, they had the reputation of being the people of God. They're heavily steeped in a cultural religion, just about like most Americans are, just about like most southerners are. Hmm? Hey, you, know what, you know what church is to most southerners? It's just part of the culture. That's all it is. It's just part of the culture. You say, where do you get that from? Well, just turn on the country music station and listen. Hey, just about every country music singer, at least I say every country music singer, I really don't know because I've never really cared a whole lot for country music. It sounded like rock and roll to me. Amen. Uh, You go ahead and get grieved about that because I know you really love Conway Twitty and, you know, Josh Turner and uh, Barf Brooks and all that rest of that stuff. Of course, Barf Brooks was the 90s. That's old news. But, you know, they come through there and they sing about the fried chicken and American apple pie and uh, let old glory wave and, oh, yeah, got to go to church on Sunday. That's just one more part of the culture. Hey, you know, these people that John's coming to deal with, these people know about the Passover they're just like you. They know about the Lord's Supper, huh? They they know about baptism. They know about all those things that relate to the Baptist Church, the Baptist religion. They're very involved. They're very involved with all this religion, but it's just one more part of their culture. It ain't no more real to them than the man on the moon. It's not real to them. They're heavily steeped in a culture or religion. They're not any strangers to the forms and to the forms, the forms and dogmas of their religious leaders. Hey, my preacher believes this, Hey, my preacher believes this. Hey, my priest said this, they know, they know, hey, we can't do that, well, why not? Because the Pharisees said, "Hey, we can't go that way. well, why not? Because the Sadducees said, people that that, that they're just like you, they're just like me." And I say, I say they're just like me. But listen, God said they wasn't ready. God said they wasn't ready. They know about the feasts. They know about the holy days. They know about the Sabbaths. Well, we're going to go down to church today on Sunday, the Sabbath. Sunday's not the Sabbath, by the way. In case you couldn't count, sab- Sabbath means seven. Yes, sir. Sunday's not the Sabbath. But these people knew about that. Let me just scratch a little itch right here and say this. You don't keep the Sabbath. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't keep the Sabbath. What I'm saying is you don't. You don't keep the Sabbath. You say, oh, Brother Nathan, we keep the Sabbath. No, you don't. Seventh-day Adventists don't keep the Sabbath. Yes, sir. Did you know that on the Sabbath you're not allowed to ignite any fire? You're not allowed to flip a switch, an electric switch. You're not allowed to write. You're not allowed to erase. You're not allowed to turn the ignition on in your car. All these Sabbath, the Seventh-day Adventists say, well, we, we go to church on the Sabbath. You are violating the Sabbath. Right. Yeah. Yes, sir. You know what that is? That's people that are religious with no life. Yeah. Right. But I say, I say this morning, there's a lot of folks sitting in a Baptist church that that's all they are. They're just religious, but they don't have no life. Yeah. They're religious. They don't have no life. Hey, preacher, we want you to preach to us lively. Well, the Lord wants you to live to him lively. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For all of the observances, for all of the rituals, for all of the ceremonies, there's not a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord said, the Lord said, John's going to have to go down there and he's going to have to do something more for them. He's going to have to do something more to them. Something more is going to have to be done in their hearts to make them a people prepared for the Lord. Yeah, but they got all this religion, Lord, but they're still not ready. Well, Brother Nathan, I'm here on Sunday morning. That don't mean you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Brother Nathan, I read my Bible this week. That don't mean you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brother Nathan, I prayed this week over your meals. Well, that's better than nothing. But I will say this, even if you spend an hour in prayer every day, that don't make you ready. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm trying, I'm trying to preach to you this morning. You say, who are you preaching to? I'm preaching to you in case you're sitting in here and thinking that you're going to partake and this little religion that we have and say, well, see, that makes me prepared. That doesn't make you saved. It doesn't make you ready for the Lord to come back. Listen, salvation, salvation does not lie in a religion. See, what's going on is you've got a people that's sitting here in Luke chapter 1. The Lord says, hey, I'm going to have to send my, my messenger, my forerunner, John. And he's going to have to shock these people out of their senses to get them to see that this religion doesn't make them ready for my first coming. Listen, the fact that they were not ready for the Lord's coming in Luke chapter 1 is proved by what you see in Matthew chapter 3. Here comes some little wise men. How how many wise men there were? The Bible doesn't say. You thought it was three because there's three gifts. But the Bible doesn't say that there was three wise men. But here comes these wise men and they say, Hey, where is he that's born? King of the Jews. And you know what the reaction was? Matthew chapter 3 says, and Herod was troubled at this saying, and all Jerusalem with him. Hey, when a preacher stands up and he starts preaching, and something goes off down in your soul, and it's not comforting, it doesn't bring any joy, it doesn't bring any peace, but it's trouble that goes on on the inside. You have a bad problem. Listen, I don't know, I don't know of any greater witness to whether or not you're ready for the Lord to come than what goes on in your heart when somebody says, behold, he cometh. Amen. Hey, the Lord's coming. So you dismiss that out of your mind. You dismiss that out of your mind because you've heard it said for the last 20, 30 40, some of you 60 years. You've heard that said your whole life. Hey, the Lord's coming. And you just dismiss it out of your mind because it's just one more thing that the preacher says. But I'm telling you this morning, whether you dismiss it or whether you latch hold of it, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. It's really going to take place. And when he comes, everything as you know, it's going to be over. Every opportunity that you have to trust Christ as your Savior, if you haven't done that already, that opportunity's gone out the window. The Bible says, listen, when the rapture takes place, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God will send those people that are left behind strong delusion so that they'll believe a lie because they receive not the love of the truth. Every opportunity that you've got, it's going to be squandered. It's going to be gone. Well, Brother Nathan, after the Lord comes, I'm going to run right down here to the church and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. That doesn't happen anywhere except in Hollywood. It doesn't happen anywhere except on the Left Behind series. It's not real. It's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Listen, your time to prepare for the Lord's coming is today. Today. Today's the day of salvation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All these wise men came and said, hey. Hey. He's here. What do you mean he's here? You know what's real interesting about those folks? The Bible said there in Matthew chapter 3, the Bible said that Herod and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. You know what the Bible says right there in Matthew 3? Herod turned around and he asked those same people, hey, where's he going to be born? They didn't sit around and scratch their head, Brother Tommy. They knew right where the verse was. Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea because the prophets say X, Y, Z. You know what that means? That means those people memorized the verses. They didn't have to open their little scrolls and say, oh, where was that verse? They knew it. They knew it better than some of you sitting in here this morning. They knew that the Lord was coming. He's going to be born right here. But they still wasn't ready. They still wasn't ready. If I came to you, some of you this morning, and I said, Hey, can you take me to a verse? Can you take me to a verse that shows me the Lord, sure enough, is coming back? Be that the rapture or be it the second advent. Can you take me to a passage that shows me the Lord is coming back? Some of you could do that at the drop of a hat. Absolutely. Maybe you couldn't explain all the details about it, but you could say, Oh, yeah, I know the Lord's coming back. Then my next question is, Are you ready for him? See, those those two things are not the same. And listen, I can tell. You can tell. I say I can tell. I don't know what's going on in your heart this morning. But I'm telling you, you can tell whether you're ready to meet him or not by what's going on in your heart right now this morning. As soon as God begins to prick your heart, as soon as God begins to deal with your heart and your mind and begins to deal with you about the fact of, hey, he's right, I am coming. Behold, he cometh quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Boy, as soon as somebody begins to talk that way, boy, the hair on some folks' neck starts to stand up. Boy, it begins to worry and, wow, I don't know if I'm ready to go. Hey, let me tell you this morning, you could be. Yeah. Yeah. You could be. Absolutely, you could be. Yes, sir, you absolutely could be. Hey, let me ask you something this morning. Can you pray and say, even so, come Lord Jesus? Hey, he's coming whether you pray that prayer or not. But listen, it'd be a lot better for you as a person, as an individual, if you could get down on your knees and know what all the Scripture says and say, bring it on, Lord, come on. I'm ready. I'm ready. Some folks is not ready because they got too much tying them down here. That's true. That's true. Hey, listen, you think about it this way. Uh, My family, my mom and dad has moved. They have moved. Quite a bit in my lifetime. I think I counted it up one time and we've moved somewhere. Just living with my parents, we've moved somewhere around five times. And you know, moving that many times, and I'm not talking about moving from one neighborhood to another. I'm talking about, you know, moving from right out here in the churchyard out to 3R Fish Camp and then from 3R Fish Camp up to Virginia and then from Virginia to Delaware and then from Delaware to a place in Maryland and then from... Mar- we've moved quite a bit. You know what has to happen in order for you to be ready to move? You can't have your tent pegs nailed down too far. Hey, you've got to be ready to let go of some things and be willing to part with some things. Hey, after you've packed up one of those full-size U-Hauls a time or two, you get the picture real real clear. Hey, all this stuff is not important. Listen, you know why some folks is not ready this morning? Because the things of this life is more important to you than the things of God's book. Hey, listen, I'm talking about the cares of this life, the cares of this world is more important to you than the destination of your eternal soul. Yes, sir. Hey, what, what your family thinks about you is more important to you than what God thinks about you. The trouble that you're going through is more important to you than the peace that God can give you. Hey, all of this stuff, all of the stuff that I see. Listen, Paul said, Paul said, I can't wait till we get there in First Corinthians chapter 15, but Paul said, he said, if we have hope only in this life, we're of all men most miserable. Do you realize that salvation does not lie in just what salvation does for you, this side of the grave, this side of the Lord's return? Hey, the greater portion of salvation is what's gonna take place on the backside of the second advent. That's the importance. The Bible says you've got three score. Listen, you've got three score and 10 years to live. If by reason of strength, four score, that's 80 years if you're a strong individual. Some people's real strong. They've been living 90 years, maybe over 100 years. That's really strong folks. But do you realize how small that is in the scope of eternity? Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy, I believe it is, might be chapter 5, somewhere around there. It says, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having promised both of the life that now is and that is to come. You know why bodily exercise profits so little? Because the best that it can do is touch your body right now. When you die, all that bodily exercise is done. I didn't say it was bad to exercise. I didn't say it was bad to throw weights around. I'm just saying it's limited by the grave. Seventy years. I'm going to pump this iron. I'm really going to get jacked. I'm going to get swole. Yeah, but when you go to the grave, what good's it do? Listen, 70 years in the scope of eternity. It's hard, it's hard, hard to get your mind wrapped around the fact, just not even eternity. Eternity has no beginning and it has no end. That's hard to get your mind wrapped around. It's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around something that has no end, much less no beginning. Something that has a beginning but it's got no end, they tell me that's something that's everlasting. You know, when the Lord saved you, he said, I'm going to give you everlasting life. And then in several other places, he said, it's not only everlasting life, it's eternal life. Huh? These 70 years, boy, this is so important to me. I'm not trying to scorn that. I'm not trying to make fun of that. But let me tell you something this morning. In the scope of eternity, whatever it is that you're dealing with should be slighted. It should be made light of. Not just by a preacher, by you. Listen, if Donald Trump, maybe you like Joe Biden, uh, I don't know, probably very few of you, and that's fine with me, I don't care a whole lot for him, but whatever, there he sits. But if Donald Trump, I know, I know if Donald Trump came to your house and knocked on your door with all his secret Service men. of course, they're probably not going to have much to do with him right now. But, hey, he'd come to your door and knock on your door. Boy, you'd like to have some notice so that you could be prepared. Huh? Like to maybe clean up in your house a little bit? Maybe like to run around the house and maybe cook a, a fresh pot of beans? I, I don't know, but you'd like to have some measure of preparation. And listen, yet you sit here Sunday after Sunday, and you've heard preacher. Maybe you don't sit here Sunday every Sunday, but maybe you come here and there, and you listen to preacher time after time stand up throughout your life and say, Hey, he's coming. He's coming. And you sit there and think, Boy, that's true. What are you doing to get ready? 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 Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's really coming. You say, when's it going to happen? I got no idea. I know this. We're closer now than we've ever been before. Even a statement like that's lost its edge. People heard preachers say that throughout time. They've heard preachers preach that way. But it's true. Yes, sir. He's coming. He's coming. I hope you're ready this morning. I hope you're ready. Look in Acts chapter 17 with me very quickly. Let me read you a couple of verses. Acts chapter 17. Listen, let me say this morning, uh, the reason, the reason that the Lord has sent ministers, the reason that he has sent forerunners, the reason that he sent preachers out into the world is because of the fact that he's coming. Hey, if the Lord's not coming, why all these preachers? Why all these ministers? I, I understand there's a lot of false preachers. I understand there's a lot of false ministers. I understand that. But there is still good preachers. There are still true preachers left in this world. If the Lord's not coming, what, what's their story all about? Why are they even here? You look right here in Acts chapter 17 and look in verse 29. Paul is preaching to those men there at Athens, Greece, and he says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, why? What's the motivation, Paul? Why should we repent? Why should we get ready? because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. They took Jesus Christ, nailed him to a tree, took his body down, buried him in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he came up from the grave. After he came up from the grave, the only people that he revealed himself to was those that believed him, was those that followed him. And those preachers went out and said, hey, he's alive. He's alive and he's coming back. He's coming back. You better get ready. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, I've never seen him with my physical eyes, but I'm telling you, he's alive, and he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. You better be ready for him. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, there was a man sent from God. You know who that man was? This John. John the Baptist, the very man that we're talking about this morning. He's the minister of God. That's a man sent from God. You know what John was not? He was not a man looking for a better career. John was not a man following a green lead, if you will. John was a man with a commission and a purpose from God. What was his purpose, brother Nathan? It was to look at those Israelites, those people that had fell into a form of religion. They had the form of godliness, but they had no power behind it. And he was to look at them and say, you better get ready. He's coming. He's right around the corner. Hey, he's moseying around among us. He's here. What was John's purpose? There's a man sent from God. John didn't pack up his bags one day and say, I think I'd really like to go into the ministry. I think I'd really like to put on some camel's hair. I think I'd really like to eat locusts and wild honey. I think I'd really just like to live out by the Jordan River with no real place to call home and just be a stark, mad, raven, wild man. I'd really love to do that. No, sir. Why'd he do all that stuff? Because there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose. He had a goal. He had something he was trying to get God's people, trying to get religious people to see. I don't know, listen, I don't know of something that's damning more independent Baptist folks than just an empty, dead religion. People sitting right in an independent Baptist church who have been convinced that because they've been in church their whole life, oh yes, I'm saved. Oh, I've been baptized. Oh yes, I'm saved. Oh yes, I participate in communion. Oh yes, I'm saved. You got your religion, that's all you got, it's a poor religion. It's a poor religion. I said something about it, I think, last Sunday. Uh, Josh Turner got this song out, Two Peas in a Pod, Me and God. Oh, yeah. I know Jesus. Me and Jesus smoke, smoke dope together. That's the idea. That's not the idea that reprobates have of the Lord these days. That's the idea. Of course, they are reprobates. That's the idea that church folks have of God. That's the idea that church, church people don't sound to me like you're ready. It don't sound to me like you're ready. I, you know what the Lord said about John? You know what the Lord said about John? Look right here in Luke chapter 1. Look in verse 15. Luke chapter 1 verse 15. Look at what he says. He's talking about John. Look at what he says. He says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. You know what, you know what the Lord said about John the Baptist? He's going to be great. He's going to be great. Let me ask you something. Do you take the same attitude towards God's ministers that he does? You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I could tell. I could tell whether or not you're ready. You're prepared for the Lord to come back just on that simple basis. God said his preachers, God said the people that preach his message, they're great. Who do you think's great? Huh? I really like Rush Limbaugh. Well, do you like Rush Limbaugh more than you like God's preachers? Preachers that go around preaching what God said? Hey, the thing that makes God's ministers great is not because they're great people. It's the message that they bring. It's what they're saying. What's great? What's great is the fact that they're faithful to what God said. That's what makes them great. But God turned around and he looked at John and he said, he's going to be great. Jesus Christ genuinely thought a a lot of John the Baptist. He said there's not a greater prophet that's ever lived than John the Baptist. You know what made him so great, I suppose, in the mind of God? He preached about me coming. He's my forerunner. He's my minister. But, you know, folks will sit right in an independent Baptist church and get mad as a devil with a preacher about saying something that just ain't right, just a little bit off. Maybe the preacher had a bad day. Maybe the preacher slipped up and said something that wasn't just right. That's doubtful. But babe, let's just for the sake of argument say that it's true. And boy, people eat a preacher up one side and down the other and get mad and storm off and never come back to church because that preacher, boy, he's just so mean and he's just such a jerk. But you let a Democrat get on television and say something that you don't agree with and that's not going to stop you from watching television. Huh? Let somebody ring up something wrong down at Walmart. Of course, it's probably you ringing it up wrong now because they got all this self-checkout stuff. But let them ring up something wrong down for you at Walmart. You'll be right back to Walmart next week to get you groceries. What, what, what's all this business about looking at God's ministers, the people that he sends? Hey, you know you know, the devil sends people out there. You know the devil sends people out there just the same way that God sends his ministers out there. You know God, the devil's ministers don't, don't point to the fact that the Lord's coming. You say, what do they point to? Anything except that. The devil's ministers point to, hey, let's have a better family. Hey, you know, the devil's ministers probably point to the fact that he's coming. Some people's living in more anticipation for the devil to show up than they are for the Lord to show up. That's true. That's true. Whether you say amen or not, it's true. Hey, are you ready for it? I preached a message several years ago. I preached a message called, What You Waiting For? Paul said in the book of 2 Thessalonians, he said, we wait for the Savior from heaven. That's who we're looking for. Who are you looking for? Hey, listen. You know what the devil will do? The devil will send some messenger in there to say, Hey, they're going to take your guns away. Hey, they're going to come and uh, the government's going to take over everything. You got. And they might. A statement like that, you can feel it. You can feel it in the service this morning. A statement like that puts people on more, it puts them at more at unrest than the idea that, hey, the Lord's coming. Listen, if that's your case, if that's your case, I'm telling you, you are backslid or you're lost. If you're more upset about the fact that the government's coming than the fact that Jesus is coming. If that's what you got your mind set on, then either you lost or you backslid. He's coming. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, well, Brother Nathan, how do we get ready? Well, let's look at the ministry of John. You know what John said? You know what the overall tenure of his message was? You better repent. You go back to Matthew chapter 3, and in Matthew chapter 3, in the verse 2, the very first words that John the Baptist preached, you know what he preached? He said, repent ye. You better get right with God. How would you like to go to the first Baptist church of John the Baptist? Baptist writer believes that John the Baptist was the first Baptist that ever lived, which is not true, but he's called a Baptist because he baptized. But anyways go into the First Baptist Church of John the Baptist, reach out there and take the preacher's hand, who's John, and you know what he says? You say, well, good morning. I'm glad to be here in your church. He says, get right with God. Hey, if I stood at the back door this morning and shook everybody's hand as soon as they came in, and you said, good morning, good to see you, and I said, get right with God. Uh, Hey, it's good to be in church this morning. God said, turn or burn. Some folks would get so mad, they couldn't even see straight, they'd leave this church and never come back. But you know, you don't ever read anywhere in the scripture where John the Baptist went up to somebody and said, so good to have you this morning, glad you could join us down here at the Jordan River. Uh, let's, Let's commence with our church service. John never did anything like that. You know, the first words that's recorded, as far as his public ministry is concerned, the first words that's ever recorded is, repent. Pharisees came down there and said, hey, I think we'd like to get in on this. John said, you can't. He said, because you're a bunch of hypocrites. That's what he said, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, oh, generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Boy, John don't look like he's really trying to build a church. You know what John wasn't worried about? John wasn't worried about the attendance. John wasn't worried about building A a church, so to speak. You know what he's worried about? He's worried about getting people right so that they're ready for the Lord to come. Brother Nathan, I'm never coming back to this church. You said something that made me mad. Well, listen, all I can tell you is that the effort that's been put in this morning is to make sure that you're ready for the Lord to come. You may never get right, you you may never come back to this church. And listen, I say, if that's the case, that's your loss. But if you never came back to this church, the bigger deal is, are you ready for the Lord to come? Yes, sir. Well, I came this morning, I think that makes me ready. Well, these Pharisees came down to the Jordan River and they still wasn't ready. Yes, sir, they still wasn't ready. Yes, sir. He, he said here in Matthew chapter 3, he said, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. He said, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You know what these Pharisees was counting on to make them ready for the Lord to come? We're the children of Abraham. You know what a lot of folks sitting in a Baptist church is leaning on? My daddy's been in church his whole life. And my mama My mama's saved. Hey, you talk to people right here in Charlton County. My grandma's a preacher. Hey, my auntie's a deacon. Oh, yeah, I'm ready for the Lord. I'm ready for him to come. We have have Abraham to our father. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. Just because you grew up on a church pew, that don't make you saved. Hey, just because somebody was so gracious and so merciful to ensure that you were brought to church every time the doors are open. And that's a, that's a novelty. That's a, that's a right thing to make sure you're in church every time the doors open. But that don't make you ready for the Lord to come. You say, why? Well, what's going on on the inside? You troubled? Are you troubled? Or are you ready? Yes, sir. We have Abraham to our father. You know what John said in the very next verse? He said, now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. You know what John said is the problem? He said it's not that you don't have this outward form of religion. He said there's something in your heart that's not right. Listen, what I'm saying this morning is if your heart's not right, you're not ready. Listen, what I'm saying is that you can have the outward form of religion. You can come to church every time the door's open. You can... Do all the religious stuff that somebody's told you that you're supposed to do. That don't make you ready. You say, what's got to happen? Your heart's got to be changed. Your heart's got to be different. You know how that takes place? Through repentance. I just don't believe in all that repentance is necessary for salvation. Well, buddy, if repentance ain't necessary for salvation, I guess that means you're going to claim that you're ready to go out and meet God headlong, having the same attitude towards sin and having the same attitude towards a life of filth and iniquity that you got right now? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I don't believe you're ready. I don't believe you're ready. Down here in verse 11, John got down there and he said, I baptize you with water. But he said, somebody's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. You know what John said? Baptism don't make you ready. He said, it's not water that makes you ready. A lot of people holding to a little observance of baptism. You said, Brother Nathan, there ain't nobody in a Baptist church that believes that. Hey, I know of a lady right here in this town. She's a Sunday school teacher right down at the First Baptist Church. I talked to her about her salvation. I said, well, where'd you get saved? She said, well, I was raised Church of Christ. Now she's a Sunday school teacher at First Baptist Church right here in Folkestone. You say, what's Church of Christ? Church of Christ believes baptism is what saves you. Some preacher came up to her and said, you look like you'd be a good individual to teach such and such a class. Why don't you come and teach? Didn't ask her nothing about her salvation. Didn't ask her nothing about what happened to her, whether she's ready to go go out to meet God. They just said, well, you know, she's a church-going lady. She must be saved. What you pinning your hopes on this morning? Yeah. What are you pinning your hopes on to justify you in the sight of God? Hey, when the cry comes, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out forth to meet him. Yeah. What you pinning your hopes on? Well, I've been in church my whole life. This situation right here, in, uh, got a little distracted there. Somebody out there walking across the field. Uh, people don't think nothing about walking across on the field, especially on church church today but here's this situation here's John and he's trying to get these people ready and some Pharisees sent out to him and they said hey who are you who are you and you know what John said he said I'm not he they said art thou the Christ he said no nope. they said art thou Elias he said no nope. he said are, they said are you that prophet he said no nope. well then who are you just a voice just a voice of somebody crying in the wilderness Amen. that's all I am You know what a lot of people have pinned their hopes on this morning? They've pinned their hopes on the fact that some preacher has talked to them and been nice to them. Or maybe they've talked to some preacher and they've been nice to some preacher. And they've got a good relationship with some preacher. And what they're going to find out is that when the Lord comes, they wasn't ready to meet God. They was just ready to meet their preacher. Yes, sir. Hey, a lot of people probably went down there to Jordan River and took the right attitude maybe towards John. I doubt that, probably a little hard to believe, but they took, maybe took the right attitude towards John and said, boy, I think that makes me right. That makes me ready to go out to meet the Lord when he comes. And yet when the Lord came, it wasn't ready. It was ready to meet John. Yeah. Yes, sir. Preacher, I, I like this preacher. I got my favorite preacher, Brother Nathan. Yeah, but what about the Savior? He said, Repent. You know what else John said? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know what makes people ready to meet the Lord when He comes again? You know, I'm going to state the obvious. This might be a little bit too obvious, but I'm going to state it for the purpose of what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. There can't be a second coming of the Lord without His first. One, two. You can't have two without one. You understand that concept? Well, the Lord can't return if he hasn't come the first time. And when he came the first time, when he came the first time, you know how he was presented? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Listen, this morning, if a little bit of preaching and a little bit of reminding about the fact that the Lord is coming. He's coming. If that troubles your heart, you know what's probably going on? You know what's a good possibility that's going on? could be that you backslid. It could be that you've never beheld the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You cannot, you cannot be ready for the Lord's return if you haven't come and met him at his first coming. I'm not talking about traveling back in time. What I'm talking about is coming to grips with the fact that, hey, when the Lord came, he came as the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Listen, I said it this morning in Sunday school. When the Lord came, he didn't come just to heal people. He didn't come just to make blind eyes to see and make deaf people to hear. He didn't, make, uh, he didn't come just to make dumb people to talk. In the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, there were some folks that had this man that was sick of the palsy, and they said, man, if we can just get him to God, if we can just get him to, to Jesus, boy, he can be healed. And they tried to get in there, and the Bible said that the press was so thick that they couldn't get to him, so they got up on the roof and tore the roof apart. And they let him down, four corners of his bed, they let him down and put him right in front of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said to that fella? Pharisees standing around, all those people in the house standing around, you know what Jesus said to that fella? He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Yeah. Well, what, what about his condition? Hey, he can't walk, Lord. That was not the Lord's primary emphasis. That was not what the Lord was worried about. You know the rest of that story. Jesus healed him. You know why he healed him? Because all those Pharisees standing around saying, who is this that thinks he's got power to forgive sins? And the Bible said the Lord perceived it. And he said, why reason you such evil things in your heart? He said, so that you know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He turned and looked at the sick of the palsy and he said, Son, I say unto thee, arise, take up your bed and walk. The fellow jumped right up. But he did that after he got his sins forgiven. That's why the Lord came. Listen, I tell you what a lot of people's missing, sitting right in church pews, what they're missing, sitting right in independent Baptist churches, is the only thing that they can take Jesus and apply apply him to their life. The only frame of reference that they have as far as what this Jesus stuff is talking about is he's something to make me feel better. He's something to take care of my physical condition. He's something to make more money for me and my family. He's something to, you know, work out all the kinks as far as world government is concerned. And that is not what Jesus is for at all. Jesus, first and foremost, is for your sins. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's why He came. That's why He came. You say, well, Jesus makes me feel good. You're not ready. Well, Jesus, you know, is going to get me out of all my problems. You're not ready. You can sit in here and say this morning, listen, if you can sit in here and say this morning, Brother Nathan, I knew I was a sinner, and I called on God, and God saved my soul on the basis of what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary. You're ready. Yeah. Amen. But nothing short of that. Nothing short of that. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let me say this, and I'm going to close this morning. You know, a lot of people struggle. They, they come right up close to salvation. And it seems like they can never get over. It seems like they can never get into it. But you know, a lot of times what happens is people hear the message, repent. Let me give it to you this way. The Bible says in the book of Acts, Paul said, he said, we testified publicly and going house to house. He said, we preached repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's two things. That's two things repentance and faith. And you know what happens? A lot of people sit right in a church pew. They'll sit right in a Baptist church. They'll sit right in some church and listen to a preacher say, Hey, you're a sinner. You're lost and undone. You're without God. And boy, their conscience will convict them and their heart will burden them. And boy, they'll go home in the distress and burdenness of their mind. But you know what they'll never do? They'll never behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Let me say it to you the way that Moses said it. John chapter 3, Jesus Christ speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Moses said back in that particular occasion, he said, Look and live. Look and live. What a lot of people's doing is they're looking at themselves saying, What's oh, so bad. I'm such a sinner. Boy, I'm lost and I'm undone. I'm without God. Listen, you can't stop there. Look to the Lamb of God. Look and live. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Listen, if as far as you get in this life is seeing that you're a sinner, that's a good step in the right direction. But that's not enough. You're going to have to look to Jesus. He that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Hey. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hey, if you'll come to Christ, he'll save you. He'll save you. He'll save you. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You can be ready to meet him when he comes. Nothing short of that. Nothing short of that. Nothing short of that. Hey, you ready this morning? He said, Brother Nathan, I don't know. I'm not saved. Hey, you know Jesus Christ died for your sins? I don't know of an individual that's sitting in here this morning that hasn't heard that gospel story. I don't know of an individual sitting in here this morning. You haven't had somebody sit down maybe with you with a Bible or you've heard some preacher stand up and say, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You heard that? You've heard that Jesus Christ died and took your sin dead. Why don't you call on him? Amen. Sitting right here this morning, you believe that? Why don't you call? Why don't you call? Lord, I pray, God, you help us this morning. God, I pray that you deal with hearts. God, Lord, I pray that somebody, Lord, not ready, God, not ready to go out and meet the Lord. Lord, I pray you deal with their hearts and help them. Lord, help them to see, God, that you're God. God. Lord, that's not far off, but God, you God got at hand. Lord, ready to save, mighty to save. Lord, you said, I believe it was in the book of Isaiah, you said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For our God, for the Lord will pardon, he'll hear and he'll pardon abundantly, Lord, you said. God, I pray, Lord, help us this morning. God, deal with hearts as you see fit. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, I don't know uh, Lord, uh, the condition of, every heart that's sitting in here this morning, but I can tell you this morning, if you've never been saved, the Lord's ready to save you. The Lord's willing to save you. He wants to save you. All that's required is for you to come. You say, Brother Nathan, I've come. I've trusted Christ as, as my Savior. Then you can have the assurance that he's done what he said he'd do. You can have the assurance that in that regard, you're ready. You're ready to meet him when he comes. Amen. Do business with the Lord as he leads. Amen.